Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, January 1st, 2017. The share ID for Friday, December 30th, is 9401. That's 9401. This morning, A Vision for You presents the problem, the solution, and three plans for action. The very first thing you have to do to solve a problem is find out what that problem is. In order to find a real lasting solution, you have to understand the problem thoroughly and know exactly what it is. Until you have this information, you can't solve your problem. We come to Overeaters Anonymous looking for a way out, a solution which will free us from the bondage, pain, and suffering of our affliction. OA stands for the proposition that the 12 steps give us freedom from the bondage of food. Our experience of powerlessness becomes the driving force of desperation to search for an answer and to be ready and willing to do anything which will free us from the bondage of our affliction. We are ready for action. Joining us this morning, our guest speaker today is Lori C., a recovered compulsive overeater from Winnipeg, Canada. Lori has been active carrying the message of the big book and the 12 steps, appealing for a return to the fullness and integrity of the Miraculous Recovery Program. And welcome to the line, Lori C. Thank you very much, uh, Leah. You can hear me, right? Yes, I can. Okay, and my voice is clear enough? Yes. Good. Okay, well... Uh, thank you uh, very much for asking me to do this. Um, uh, it's uh, New Year's Day. It's 7.30 in the morning for me, uh, quite early. Um, and uh, I'm very glad to do this. I, I am uh, pitching this more to those who still suffer, those who need a, a, an awakening. But at the same time, I, uh, as I've gone through it and reviewed my own actions over the past, I think that what I'm about to talk about is a good reminder for those of us who have been working the steps for a long time, uh, a good reminder of the significance, the, uh, the power of the steps, and what happens when you get a little lax. Um, so let me start off. Uh, you know, Leah's introduction was, uh, was quite accurate. I want to talk about the problem and the solution, and then I want to make some practical suggestions for beginning to work the steps and, and being on the road to recovery. Um, I start off from something that it took me about seven years in this program to learn. Uh, I didn't hear the words. It may be that they were spoken, but I didn't hear them. Uh, I rejected certain parts of it. I know that because I did hear certain parts of it, but I rejected some of them. And as a result, I relapsed in this program. I recovered and relapsed, recovered and relapsed for about seven years. What I heard when I was confronted by a member in the room, about the shyest person in the entire part of my world, uh, in OA, uh, and when she confronted me, intervened, talked to me lovingly, and asked me what I was doing, how I really was feeling, uh, because other people have been asking me how I was doing, and I was saying fine, and they were saying fine. But when I said I was fine to her, she said, I mean, really? I mean, really? And really 
forced me to examine how well I was doing, which was very badly. I was gaining weight and talking a lot about how wonderful the steps are. Uh, I was a terrible, terrible um, uh, symbol of, of what OA stood for. Um, unfortunately, a common symbol within uh, parts of OA, and I, I was one of them. I began to rethink what I was doing about the steps, and then I was introduced by a person in AA who had been working the steps in AA through the big book uh, for about 15 years, had been sober for 15 years, and asked me to sponsor him. I was introduced by him to a study of the big book uh, that really started my recovery, and he and I worked together. We helped each other work the steps. I gave him whatever experience I had in OA, and he gave me all the knowledge that he had about uh, the, the interpretation of the big book as a set of directions for working the steps. I had read it as an inspiring book, but I hadn't thought of it as a book that really uh, contained the directions. Uh, and so we worked together, and uh, we both recovered, and that was over 23 years ago. Uh, but I, I know this. I am, I am one bite away from a slip. I am one bite away from going back to what I used to be. And uh, because of that, I very much appreciate the opportunity that Step 12 gives me to carry the message to those who still suffer. Uh, and, and specifically, I appreciate the opportunity to get up really early in the morning in order to uh, do this uh, podcast. What I didn't accept in the big book, uh, and uh, although I read it, but what I didn't accept was the picture of what the addict what the addict's problems really are. I thought that it was all a matter of willpower and moderation. That for me, for compulsive eaters, the problem was not so much a substance abuse, but it was an emotional problem. It was an issue dealing with really getting your head on straight and then you could, as every diet that I knew of told me, that I had been on and that I had read of, and all the books and all the magazines, and the, I hadn't consulted many nutritionists, but I had got some diets from doctors, they all told me was that the, the, the issue was losing weight, which I needed to do, and then eating in moderation, uh, being able to eat anything in moderation. And I believed that, and frankly, I wanted to believe that, and frankly, I didn't hear much in OA that told me not to believe that. So I would go on a diet, and the diet was often a good diet, and I would lose weight while I was working the steps, and I would work the steps pretty well, certainly not the way I know how to work them now, um, but I would work the steps, and then I would lose my weight, and then as my diets told me, I could then eat anything I wanted moderately. I could eat the you know, the one scoop of ice cream a week or the half a, half a donut or the uh, two cookies a week. And every time I sort of, uh, I don't know, allowed myself or, or ate moderately uh, certain kinds of foods, uh, what happened? Well, I began to eat a bit more of them and a bit more of them and then a bit more of other kinds of foods and then a bit more of all kinds of foods. And then suddenly I was back to almost where I'd been. Somehow I prided myself that um, I was, I never weighed more than when I started. Uh, that was my pride. But I had gained so much weight, and I was just talking about the steps and how wonderful the steps were. So 
when I started to read the doctor's opinion with my friend who who had been an alcoholic and, and was insisting that the big book was his answer in OA and that we had to find our analogies, had to find what was going on in, in compulsive eating as well as he had found in alcoholism, in alcohol, um, in AA, I should say, I began to think of it uh, more clearly. So what I want to do is talk about, uh, from my own experience, and then uh, uh, from what the big book says, uh, about what is called in the, in the big book the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And what the first person who described this called the double whammy. Uh, this is Dr. William Silkworth, who treated uh, thousands and thousands of alcoholics, much to his own despair. He knew what the problem was. He had no idea what the solution was uh, until uh, Bill Wilson, one of his patients, uh, found a simple program for recovery and used that program and recovered. And then Dr. Silkworth knew that there was a solution as well as he could describe the solution as well as being able to uh, describe the problem. Uh, my eating career uh, consists of uh, compulsive eating uh, from a very early time. Uh, if you saw pictures of me, you would know that I was much heavier than I am now. Uh, but being heavy isn't what really qualified me because there are heavy people, really heavy people, who do not have my problem. And there are people who aren't heavy who do have my problem. Uh, because the problem that Dr. Silkworth described as he worked with all these alcoholics, these thousands and thousands of alcoholics, he began to realize it wasn't a matter of sanity only. It wasn't a matter of getting your head on straight. That alcohol did something to the alcoholics that it didn't do to normal people. And as he began to realize that, uh, he began to treat the alcoholics differently, but still didn't succeed because he also didn't realize until he began to analyze that, that there was something wrong with the alcoholic's mind as well as the body. So let me, let me talk from my point of view, first of all, and tell you just a few stories. Um, I don't have time to tell all of them, but I'll, I'll tell one or two. The first story, it's not really a story, it really describes the way I used to eat. And the way I used to eat was that I would bring my hand to, to, with food. Uh, the hand might have a fork in it. The hand might have a spoon in it. The hand might just be a hand. Uh, and it usually was a hand, even though it might have really been more polite to use a fork or a spoon. Uh, the hand would bring food into my mouth, and I would begin to eat it. And then the hand would bring more food and I would eat it. At a certain point, I would be saying to myself at times, I I've got to stop this. I can't eat anymore. I'm full. And the hand would keep on bringing the food. And I would say, I've, I've got to stop. I weigh too much. I'm too fat. Uh, I I've got all kinds of problems, genetic problems within my family. Obesity is, is dangerous for me. And the hand would keep bringing the food to the mouth. And I would say things like, well, this is, this is the last bite. And then I would say, well, no, no, this is the last bite. And, and no, this is the last bite. And it would keep on eating until it was all gone. And that's the sort of the generic description. I have, I have even more graphic descriptions. I, I uh, once ate after having, uh, this is actually a very uh, 
almost the anniversary of that time. Uh, Hanukkah uh, is the Jewish holiday celebrating. Um, well, it celebrates the uh, the liberation of, of the temple, and uh, uh, in the course of liberating the temple, the uh, the, the great temple, the um, uh, they wanted to the Jews wanted to uh, relight the uh, the eternal flame. There was only enough uh, oil for one day, but they and it would take them eight days to refine the oil. But lo and behold, the the light lasts for the eight days required to get new oil, and this is the miracle of lights. So Hanukkah is the festival of lights, but it's also a festival uh, of grease and oil and almost all the food that is associated, at least, at least I grew up in my Eastern European family, um, was, was greasy. And uh, one day, uh, one uh, Hanukkah dinner, uh, my mother had cooked a goose, and we had eaten our fill, and I'm sure I'd had my dessert. I was stuffed to the gills, and I... <clears throat> went into the kitchen to get a diet drink, which I've always appreciated. And uh, there was the goose and the goose carcass. And uh, on that goose carcass, oh, it was on the cutting board. Excuse me, on that goose carcass was the skin of the goose. And I loved the eating the skin of the goose. So I thought, well, I'll just have a taste. And I took a little bit in my mouth. I picked up the whole skin because it just slides right off the goose. I picked up the whole skin. I took a bite. I couldn't get a purchase. And there was... I couldn't bite it off, so I stuffed a bit more in, and then a bit more in, and I couldn't find a way to tear it off. It was so slippery, and I kept putting... I ended up with the whole skin in my mouth. Uh, grease was squirting out of my... my between my lips. I, I couldn't keep them closed. I was like a chipmunk with my, my, my lips completely full. It was burning the inside of my mouth. It was so fat that it, it retained the heat from the oven hours after it had been taken out of the oven. I ate the whole skin. And this was an indication to me, at least it should have been, that there's something really dangerous and different that some foods do to me. But I didn't accept that. I wanted to believe what everyone else told me was that it's only an issue of eating in moderation, that once I lost my weight, I could eat anything. And for seven years, I wanted to believe that. But the doctor, in his opinion which is found in, in the big book, uh, in the introductory uh, portions before uh, uh, page one, said emphatically that alcohol does to alco alcoholics what it does not do to the normal person. Alcohol in them, when ingested by them, even a little bit, creates what he called the phenomenon of craving. Phenomenon is an unexplained occurrence. He could not explain why, and to this day there is, there, there is nothing that can be proved. There are lots of indications, there are lots of theories, but there are no, there are no proofs. It's very hard because uh, how do you decide someone's an alcoholic to study the differences between that person and another person? There can be heavy drinkers to whom this phenomenon of craving may not occur uh, in the same way that does the alcoholic. But it became true for me as I began to read this book and began to realize how awful, in what awful shape I was in, in the seven years of recovery, relapse, recovery, relapse, um, I began to accept the notion that perhaps I experienced the phenomenon of craving. And I, 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 I realized partially in reverse, alcohol doesn't do for me what alcohol did for my friend who'd been sober for 15 years and what it does to alcoholics. I cannot drink more than, actually it turns out about a, 
a glass and sometimes a glass and a half of alcohol, uh, I don't mean alcohol, I mean wine or beer, uh, before I begin to experience a sense of nausea. My body doesn't want any more. And I've had some, you know, I had the opportunity to taste one of the best, well, one of the greatest wines I've ever had. And I wanted to drink all of it because it tasted so good. And that's a very rare phenomenon for me. But I couldn't drink it all. At a certain point, my body said, you've had enough. And yet, you know, my friend, and I had met not just this friend in, um, whom I was working with in, AA, in OA, but many, many alcoholics, who would tell me of the crummy, awful, terrible stuff they would drink and couldn't stop drinking. So I began to think, okay, well, if, if alcohol doesn't do that for me and does it for others, and I can watch my wife eat only a bit of something she loves and then say that she's too full, then maybe the fact that I can't stop eating once I start is an example of the phenomenon, this unexplained occurrence of cravings. So I began to accept the notion that there might be certain foods, and I'll talk a bit more about that and food ingredients and eating behaviors. I'll talk about my evolution of developing my, my plan of eating. But I began to accept the notion that there may be certain things that I can't indulge in because once I indulge in them, I can't stop. Now, that never applied to radishes for me. Uh, it never applied to all kinds of foods, celery and carrots, uh, um, uh, some foods I didn't like. There's all kinds of foods. Lean steaks were something that didn't mean much to me. Um, but there's a lot of foods that once I started, I couldn't stop. And there are a lot of foods that I, I could easily stop. So I accepted the notion that there were some things, I should explore at least, some aspect of the notion that I should not indulge in certain kinds of foods. And I began, my friend said, that he, I was working with, said, oh, my problem is fast foods, he said. I just will not eat at the fast food places that I normally eat, and I will simply eat healthy food. And he said, because I've noticed whenever I eat a, you know, a certain kind of burger or something like that, I can't stop eating them, and I eat more and more and more of them. Um, I, I had been in OA for a long time, to me and I, and I, and I realized that would not be enough for me. I didn't go to fast food places very much, uh, but my quantities were incredible of certain kinds of foods. I began to sort of look, well, I began to look at the foods that I uh, really indulged in, the foods that I couldn't stop eating once I started. And they were not hard to identify. They were, and many of them were, foods that I thought I could never live without. That's a, that's a very good beginning. What, what can I imagine I could never give up completely, that I, I would mourn if I gave it up for the rest of my life? And uh, what are the foods that, that I found myself eating with the hands, bringing it to the mouth, and I saying, I, I must stop, I must stop tomorrow, today, this is the last bite? What, what were those foods? It wasn't hard to make a list of those foods. Um, and those foods included, uh, uh, on the one hand, uh, shortbread, certain kinds of cheesecake and ice cream, certain kinds of ice cream. And on the other hand, it included um, all the fatty parts of meat. Uh, it included deep-fried foods uh, with batters on them, uh, 
sometimes meat and sometimes other things, French fries, things of that sort. Uh, it included uh, all kinds of uh, heavy fat dairy products, sour cream, uh, creamy yogurts, uh, whole milk cream, um, butter, butter especially. Butter I knew was a big problem. Anything made with butter was a problem for me. And so I realized I had to give up, you know, these, these foods. Um, but I also started to look at the common ingredient in there, and, and I realized that uh, it wasn't just sugar and it wasn't uh, – uh, because uh, you know the, the the steaks I was eating that had the all the fat on it still, and the chicken skin and the goose skin and all that it wasn't that wasn't a matter of sugar, it was a matter of fat mixed with sugar for the shortbreads and the and the cheesecakes and the uh, uh, and the ice cream. It wasn't just the sugar in it; it was the fat mixed with the sugar. I'd given up most sugars, like I didn't add sugar to things, but I ate things that had sugar in them. Um, and it, but it was so sugar and fat, and also fat and salt, and sometimes fat on its own. Anything that had a high concentration of fat did something for me that uh, no fat didn't. I loved whole milk rather than skim milk. I didn't like skim milk at all. Um, and uh, so I realized that I had to develop, because you do need some fat in your diet, not a lot, but some, I had to develop a, a plan of eating, which I'll talk about more much later on, uh, that eliminated uh, foods with high fat uh, and high fat and sugar and high fat and salt uh, content. So I accepted the notion that the doctor had developed in the doctor's opinion. He developed it over a number of years and published it uh, to absolutely no acclaim in the Journal of the Medi American Medical Association in 1932 uh, or 1933. Um, he got no recognition for it. People still believe that alcoholism was a was a moral problem, a, a, a matter of uh, uh, just stopping, and you just have to learn to stop. Uh, but he he was the first person, at least in his time, to develop the notion that there was something abnormal about the body, whereas most bodies or most normal bodies would say, "I've had too much." The alcoholic's body, when ingesting alcohol, and I accepted that this was true for the compulsive eater when ingesting certain kinds of food, that body craved more, and craved more to the extent that it overpowered the will of the person. And that explained the ability of my body to say to me, I want more, even when I was saying, I can't eat anymore, I don't want anymore, this is bad for me, this is terrible for me. Uh, I mean, th this was an important moment in my life when I recognized that I really don't have any more power over my body when it ingests or indulges in certain foods than I have over my body when I try to stop blinking or when I try uh, to hold my breath. I can do it for a while, you know, in terms of blinking, maybe 30 seconds, in terms of holding my breath, maybe a minute. I don't know what the world's record is for holding the breath, but it, it isn't longer than 10 minutes, and it's probably more like six or seven minutes, um, and certainly not blinking. I don't know anyone who can't do it, uh, who, who, who can't stop blinking for more than a minute, but you can, and, and that explained why at certain times I wouldn't eat this stuff. If I was among some people, I could momentarily say I won't do it, always knowing in my body sort of holding in reserve, yeah, yeah, but as soon as they leave, we're going to have more. Well, 
I also had to recognize, and this I had earlier, that this was life and death, that ingesting these foods, that for me gaining the weight uh, uh, was as absolutely life and death as the alcoholic ingesting uh, alcohol, the drug addict ingesting, ingesting drugs. And that this, was, uh, this was tough because in, in our society, in many societies, compulsive eating is often, uh, and I grew up in a Jewish-Russian uh, household where, where eating was a sign of love. Both cooking and the eating was a sign of love. Um, eat, eat, you know, this, this whole notion that, that I've made something for you out of my love for you and your eating it will show me your love for me. Um, that it, it was, it, was a, it, it probably has become one of the last socially acceptable, uh, still socially acceptable uh, addictions around. And, and we don't have the, dr- the drama of many uh, uh, of the drug addicts or the, or the uh, alcoholics. Uh, we don't have the drama of being stimulated or in some way having our senses so skewed that we do things that are uh, so dramatically bad that we embarrass ourselves and we embarrass the people around us. That's not entirely true. I mean, the amount of food I ate would embarrass my wife. It would embarrass people I knew. But it didn't seem as bad. It was sort of funny. It was sort of, you know, not just terrible, uh, not that bad, not as serious as the alcoholic or the drug addict. And even to this day, I know a number of alcoholics and drug addicts who do not consider my addiction anywhere near as serious as theirs. But for me, it is as serious. I have in my family um, uh, a number of genetic predispositions that obesity will kill, uh, will, will, uh, will kill me. I, I got my prepositions wrong, but you know what I'm saying. My genetic predispositions mean that if I became obese, if I compulsively ate all the time, uh, I, would, I would suffer some pretty awful uh, deadly diseases. Uh, diabetes being the absolute clear one, that I would have diabetes. That's, I know that for a fact, given uh, all the number of people in my family who have diabetes. Um, I have this predisposition, and I've had two of my family members uh, die of uh, diabetes uh, earlier than they should, and the last three or four years of their lives were awful because with di- diabetes is a silent killer. It's the hidden killer. It's you know, you, you, you get strokes, you get uh, heart problems, you get blindness, you get uh, amputations, gangrene, and things of that sort. Um, I have uh, high blood pressure problems, uh, potentially, and I have uh, heart problems as well. And the kind of illnesses that are associated with compulsive eating, either overeating or undereating, are debilitating ones that lead to premature death and on the way lead to more and more dependence upon other people and less and less mobility. We get more lethargic, less able to do things. Uh, our joints creak and ultimately give up, give out. Uh, we, 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 we need hip replacements and knee replacements. Uh, we can't do anything. We, we, we can't keep clean. We, we are more subject to a horrible life that eventually leads to an earlier death, uh, much less subject, although it does happen because, I mean, I, I've known people in this program who have died at the age of 45, 40 uh, of, of, uh, of, of, of this illness. 
because of their of their huge weight. And I have friends who know of others who have died oh, horribly and dramatically by not being able to be carried out of fires by firefighters because of their weight. Um, so, I mean, it can be dramatic, but for us it's not as dramatic, and I think that means that somehow we, we are treated and we treat ourselves as uh, uh, less serious than the other addicts. But if you accept this notion that once you start, you can't stop, uh, then you're halfway on the way to understanding that you have a deadly problem that must be treated as seriously as any addict's problem. Let's go to the other issue that the doctor discovered about the alcoholic. Because he had developed this theory that there's something abnormal about their ingestion of alcohol pretty early on. It was pretty obvious that alcohol did something to them that, that, didn't, that wasn't done to the normal person. Uh, he couldn't understand, but he knew that once they took one drink, suddenly they become different people. They became different people, and their bodies kept clearly saying them more and more and more, even though he would say to them and they would say to them, don't drink, uh, stop, just stop with one drink. One drink is enough. Two, you know, a thousand drinks are not, uh, I mean, one drink is too many and a thousand drinks are not enough. He began to, so he began to counsel his patients. Okay, you've got an abnormal reaction to alcohol. Clearly, you just can't ingest alcohol at all in any form, in, in any amount. Just don't drink. Seemed reasonable. And any sane person who knew, as I began to realize, for instance, that eating butter would lead to eating all kinds of other things, wouldn't eat butter. Uh, my wife uh, considers herself a chocoholic because she needs uh, to often said that needs one piece of chocolate a day, but that's all she eats, one piece of chocolate a day. She doesn't need thousands of pieces of chocolate a day. That one piece is sufficient for her. Uh, that's never been true for me for cheesecake or ice cream or, uh, you know, uh, fried, uh, fried foods or anything of that sort. But so if I were a normal person, I would, so I, if my wife were told you can't eat chocolate anymore, you, you know, you've developed this deadly allergy, she would mourn it and just give it up because she's the same human being. But every time someone persuaded me that I shouldn't be eating any ice cream at all, my mind would say to me, yeah, you can have a bit. And that's what the doctor began to discover with the alcoholics. He began to discover that the alcoholics had developed, the ones that he was treating, even though he would say to them, you can't eat it, do you really I drink this? Do you realize this? You can never have any. And they would leave his sanit uh, sanitarium and, uh, and say, no, no, I can't have it. I, I just can't have any drink whatsoever. Somehow, they would find themselves in a situation where they would have just one. And that was true for me for many of my diets. I would develop all kinds of reasons for giving myself permission to, to have some. You know, I've, I made a list once, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. Uh, uh, I would come up with excuses like this. I, I'm so depressed. What will make me feel better? But I would also say, I'm so happy. How can I celebrate? Uh, I would say, oh, I worked so hard making it. Or I would say, I feel guilty because I didn't work so hard making it. Or I would say, no one loves me. But I would also say, too many people love me. Um, how will I fit in? Uh, I would say, 
nothing else will remove the hurt if only for a second. I mean, deeply emotional reasons. But some of them were completely contradictory to, to each other, contradictory toward each other. You know, I'm, I'm so unhappy, and I'm so happy, both of them being reasons. Um, but I also said they made it especially for me. How can I refuse? Uh, it'll go to waste. Everyone's looking at me. It's free. And I'm standing up. It doesn't count. I would even say it's a stone ground, whole grain cinnamon bun made with organic molasses and cold-pressed organic oil. It's got to be good. Uh, this uh, yogurt, this creamy yogurt is made from yaks uh, from Tibet, left by the Dalai Lama. How could it not be good? Um, I had, she's not looking, so it doesn't count. I have to taste it in order to see whether it's okay. Um, my favorites have been... Uh, I've been very good for a year, I've been very good for months, I've been very good for a week, I've been very good for an hour. Uh, five minutes ago, I refused uh, the piece of uh, bread, the bun, I didn't eat the bun, I didn't eat the last French fry, I, I didn't say, take a second helping five minutes ago, so I can eat the ice cream now, I can eat the pie now. I, you know, and what the doctor described was not just emotional reasons. He described a rationale, that is, the alcoholic will develop any reason for going back and succumb to that reason, even though it was a stupid, not an emotional, not necessarily an emotional, but just a stupid reason. And he, he talked about that as being, uh, he, he called it an obsession of the mind, a mental obsession. And an obsession is an idea that takes possession of the mind and excludes all other ideas. So we, we, we have one idea, monomania, and that obsession is ultimately, well, I just, well, I, I, the big book talks about uh, we have parallel reasonings. On the one hand is sanity, and on the other hand is this uh, mental obsession. And I, I always think of this parallel thing as being like those old Disney movies where uh, cartoons where you'd have the, the good Mickey and the bad Mickey on either soldier, uh, shoulder or the, or the good Goofy or the bad, and the bad Goofy, and one would look like an angel, one would look like a devil. And, and the same uh, Mickey would, would, I won't do the voice, would be saying, don't eat this, it's bad for you, you've got diabetes uh, in your family, if you start eating again, it will be bad for you, you know you can't have that stuff, once you start it, you can't stop it's bad for you, just don't eat it. If you don't eat it once, it'll be better the next time. Uh, just keep sober, just don't have any. And on the other hand was the, 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 the obsession. And although I know that many people in OA think of it as being this emotional reasoning, this reasoning that takes over, um, and I have experienced this emotional uh, thinking, but I've also experienced a stupid one, like it's organic, or, uh, or uh, people are looking at me, or uh, I've been very good uh, for uh, five minutes, or simply um, I'm standing up, it doesn't count, happening at times when I, I wasn't even emotional, when it was, nothing was really bothering me. I think that all of that bad angel or whatever it is says is, come on, have some, come on. And it's sort of like, I'll find, I, your mind, will find any reason whatsoever that works for you at this moment in time to have a bit. Because I know once I have a bit, my body will take over and I'll want more. And this obsession of the mind creates 
what the doctor called a double whammy, and I would call a vicious circle. Once I start, I can't stop. That's the allergy of the body. That's the phenomenon of craving. Having some means I want more. My body wants more, and it overpowers my mind. But if I've been away from it for a while, if I've been on diet, my mind takes over, and it gives me, and, and it, it tells me I can start again. So on the one hand, I can't stop once I've started. That's the allergy of the body, the, the uh, craving. On the other hand, I can't stop from starting. That's the obsession of the mind. It finds a way to overpower my reasoning. I am not sane when it comes to food. I, my mind will overpower me. This, this is true. I mean, we cannot control our mind. I, I can win a bet from you. If you, if, if, I, I will pay you $5,000 if you don't think of the word rhinoceros for 20 seconds. And you might try for 10 seconds of closing your eyes and blocking out any sounds and going la, 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 or something like that. But at a certain point, there's a part of your mind that will say, and I'm not thinking of the word rhinoceros. We, we can only find a certain, we can only control certain levels of our minds, but there are other levels we simply can't control. And that, those levels ultimately give us permission to go back. Well, this is yo-yo dieting, isn't it? it, it it's, it's exactly what I experienced for years and years before I joined OA. And frankly, it's what I experienced in OA for seven years when my mind kept saying to me, oh, but you, you should agree with all these doctors and nutritionists and magazine diets and all that. As they, they tell you you can have a bit, even though my experience was I couldn't have a bit. And once I started that one scoop of ice cream, it became not a sort of a scoop carefully cut off uh, you know, like a half a scoop, but it became a rounded scoop. And then ultimately I was eating the whole, uh, the whole carton, and then ultimately I was eating the whole uh, tub. Uh, of, uh, and my, my, my hand was just bringing this food to, to my mouth. So once I accepted this notion, I realized that it was impossible for me on my own to stay away from the stuff that I knew would cause me the craving, that my mental obsession could not be overcome by me. Now, that was step one. That was the realization that I was powerless over the foods, what I would call the binge foods or the killer foods. Um, and I'll talk about eating behaviors a little bit later, but I was powerless over these things. So once I started, I couldn't stop. And that powerlessness was significant because once I accepted that I had to stop uh, eating those things, I then developed the notion of what sobriety means, of what abstinence means in our program, in Compulsive It Overeaters Anonymous. Because, of course, for the alcoholic, that part of the analysis is pretty simple. You just don't drink alcohol in any form. You do not ingest alcohol. For the gambler, you do not gamble. Uh, for the drug addict, you do not take uh, non-prescribed drugs. I mean, whatever it is, you do not ingest it. But for me, the, the, I saw people around me saying that their particular binge foods were different from my particular binge foods. And I realized that I had to develop my own sense of what my binge foods were. I'll talk about that when I talk about the three plans uh, for beginning this program, for the new beginning that uh, is, is available to us any second of the day, any minute of the day. And that I hope is available if you're suffering today, this New Year's Day. 
Well, if I can't do it myself, how can I do it? And here came the hope from Overeaters Anonymous. Even though I hadn't accepted and hadn't heard in the rooms and hadn't accepted this notion of the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, I knew that within the membership of Overeaters Anonymous, there were people who no longer wanted to indulge in the things that had caused them problems. They had kept off their weight, but more than keeping off their weight, because you can be a dry drunk or a white knuckle abstainer in OA, there are, and, and, or AA and OA, there are many such, I'm sure. Um, but these were people who didn't want it. They could be around it and not, be, and not in any way be tempted. And they told me, and I knew a lot of alcoholics like that who could be around alcohol and not want it, even though their history of drinking was just unbelievable. So I knew that within the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous, derived from the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, that there was hope for me, that I could find some kind of higher power, some kind of power greater than I was, that could relieve me of my, of my obsession of the mind, that I could look at the foods that I knew I couldn't eat and say, why would I eat this? That's poison for me. That's what I really wanted in Overeaters Anonymous. I, I, I didn't care, frankly, very much about a spiritual awakening and the sense of serenity and, you know, I'll feel better about myself and I'll feel better about the world and it's, it's an attitude of gratitude and, you know, all these promises and not, you know, not regret the past and I wish to shut the door on it and know the word, finally know the word serenity and peace. I didn't care about that. I wanted to stop eating ice cream and to stay stopped. I wanted to know that every time someone offered me some ice cream, that my mind would say, yuck, this is bad for you. Other people can eat it, but you can't. And that's what I saw in, in, in a number of members of OA, and that's what I wanted. Um, and they told me they got that way by working the 12 steps of OA. Even though in my first seven years, I hadn't accepted this notion of the allergy of the body. I knew that the 12 steps worked because I would go on diets. I'd work the 12 steps to the best of my ability, not, not completely the, the big book way that I do now, but I worked them. And uh, I would have this, this sense of release and relief um, of feeling great and not even wanting to eat the stuff that uh, I had given up. But because... I didn't believe in the allergy of the body, I would say to myself, well, okay, I now can have a bit. I, I didn't need it. I didn't want it. I had this sort of release from it, but because it was available and because the diets all told me I could have a little bit and eat in moderation because I didn't have an allergy of the body, I would eat some. And then, of course, my body would kick in and I'd, I'd want some more. So I want to start from that proposition that um, – I can't stop once I've started. I can't stop from starting, and there is hope in the steps. And now I want to talk <coughs> about developing, how do I start the steps? I mean, this is what my sponsees will say. How, how do I start the steps? What do I do? And I say to anyone, I have an opportunity to say it to, I would develop three plans. The first is a plan of eating. I want to spend a lot of time on that, so I'll, spend, I'll, I'll talk about that later. The second is a plan for working the steps, a timetable, a 
tentative timetable. Obviously, things can change. But a sense that I will finish, we're promised in the big book and we're promised by this program, by the time we finish step nine, we will be sane. We will be able to look at the foods that we've given up, the things we've indulged in, and say, why would I want this stuff? It's, it's poison for me, even though it may not be poison for us. So I want this. And if I can give myself a sense of time that it will take me X number of weeks or months to get through step nine, then that's equivalent of a diet. I'm holding on for that period of time. I'm just, I just want to, you know, if I can just hold on for this period of time, I'm not giving it up forever. I'm giving it up for this length of time because I am hoping that once I work the steps, I won't want anymore. So I'm not giving it up forever. I'm just giving it up for the next month, week, five weeks, two weeks, five weeks, three months, whatever, until I reach the end of step nine. And that involves sort of working with someone and getting a sense of how long it does take to work the steps. And in my experience, finding a way of working the steps that's relatively quick. Um, that that takes into account the urgency of the matter. That takes into account what the big book uh, talks about when it says faith without works is dead. That you do not spend time basking in one step, but you spend time working and working and working and continuing to work the steps. I, I despair of uh, of people, uh, of groups of people within the 12-step community, not just OA, who say, oh, you got to be absent, sober, clean for a year before you do step four. Because my experience and the experience of many people I know is that if you spend a year being sober or abstinent or clean and you haven't worked step four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, the chances are you're looking at relapse. Uh, or a dry drunk, which is uh, uh, which isn't too good either. Um, you're, you're, you know, so my advice is to find a way of working this stuff that works really quickly, uh, relatively quickly. My experience is that the big book way of doing this stuff uh, is relatively quick. And I didn't say this at the beginning, but much of what I'm saying is available on a website called oabigbook.info. O a b i g b o o k dot I-N-F-O. If you go to that website, you'll find uh, various resources that might be of uh, some assistance uh, to you. Um, so the plan, of, uh, the plan of working the steps, the timetable, gives you that sense of I, don't, I only have to hang on for so long. And I think it's psychologically very helpful. You know, you, many of us have, uh, have been on diets that we say, okay, this is my two-month diet. I'll be on this for two months. And we'll see what happens. And we somehow we can do that. We can give up that stuff for a little while if we have the sense that we'll go back to it right afterwards. But if we, yeah, so if we develop a, a, a timetable uh, that allows us a, a sense of just over the corner, just around the corner, uh, we we may have what's promised by step nine, this absolute serenity when it comes to food that's not wanting to have it. Um, it's worthwhile experimenting. So that's the the, the second plan. Uh, the third plan is a plan for avoiding temptation on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and I can't stress the importance of this. Um, there are many, many ways of doing it, many, uh, many what are called uh, uh, heavily structured programs have their own methods of going to three meetings a week, uh, phoning people three times uh, a week, phoning in your food, and, 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 and those are wonderful. They're all wonderful ways of really 
keeping you know uh, keeping your mind away from temptation on a daily basis. People read. Uh, they use many of the tools of recovery in OA. Uh, they journal. They phone people. If they're tempted, they phone someone. I, I always say to sponsees, it will be of great help to you probably to phone in your food every day. But don't phone me. Phone someone who still suffers because you'll be both a model to that person and you'll be helping uh, yourself as well. Um, and, and I don't need the phone calls from you. I, I have a lot, of, a lot of work I do in OA. Uh, that's what I say to them. I, I know other sponsors will say, phone me every day. But phoning in food is, is, a, is a very good way of, of, of uh, avoiding day-to-day temptation because you say, this is what I'm going to have today, and I will phone you or phone someone if I'm going to change if uh, the circumstances are such that I have to change. So you, you're accountable to someone during the day. But there are many different methods of doing this, and, and they're very good for uh, – and it really requires your own analysis and your own analysis of when you've, when you've had some failures and what you do about that and what you, how you can change in relation to that. I won't go into any great details about that, but I'll just say that a plan of working the steps uh, quickly, a sense of a timetable that it will be over soon, that I will have reached step nine uh, within X number of weeks or or months, uh, gives you a a perspective. You only have to hang on for so long, and then the higher power will come to you uh, and and relieve you of your temptations. And this day-to-day thing that allows you to say, okay, yeah, I want it. I'm, I'm at this party. Uh, what am I going to do? Oh, okay, I'm going to do this. I'll drink a glass of water. I will say I will eat it in 10 minutes, not now. I will give it to my sponsor. Uh, uh, I will, I will um, you know, I'll phone someone. I will uh, journal. I will leave. Uh, I, I'll throw it out of my, I'll keep it out of my house, whatever it is. The plan of eating is the most significant one. And and, uh, you know, the group conscience of Overeaters Anonymous as expressed in the Dignity of Choice pamphlet says very clearly that we should not adopt someone else's plan of eating unless it really fits for us, that we have to do our own analysis. That, uh, because I know that in the rooms of OA, in any room of OA, there are people who can eat what I cannot eat, and there are people who can't eat what I can eat, because each of us, has his or her own issues relating to food, and we have to work it out and being very honest. So I, I want to talk a bit about that. I have a little bit of time, and I want to talk about that and how I've worked with sponsees about that. Because I find that when people relapse, there are only two reasons for those relapses, uh, given the idea of the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. Uh, on the one hand, it could be the obsession of the mind uh, taking control, that we haven't been working the steps strong enough, uh, life or death uh, way, that we've, we've been lax in working the steps and that our relapse came because our mind gave us permission to go back. But it could just as well be that we're still eating foods or indulging in certain eating behaviors that cause us, that causes our bodies to develop this phenomenon of craving, this unexplained occurrence of craving, and that our bodies are saying, I want more, more, more. Uh, so, as I work with people who have relapsed, as I uh, look at my own uh, uh, issues, uh, I am constantly on guard for looking for seeing whether some foods or some eating behaviors are triggers for me or for others. Uh, I let them make. I let others make their own decisions, and uh, the, the only criterion is that they have to be absolutely deeply honest with themselves. Um, and sometimes people develop plans of eatings that are not the plans of eatings I would develop for them, but they will learn. 
And as long as they believe that in their hearts, and after my sort of very gentle examining, cross-examination of them, uh, that, that they are being honest, I, I feel comfortable with uh, letting people make their own decisions and their own mistakes because I cannot tell someone else what he or she can or can't eat. It's not up to me. And it would be wrong for me to tell them, well, this is my problem. You have the same problem that I do. You don't. No one has the same problem I do. No one develops the same, exactly the same kind of craving. So what I do, uh, what I did, I, I first of all realized that products high in fat, anything high in fat, uh, was a trigger for me. And uh, when it was mixed with sugar or it was mixed with salt, it was even a worse trigger for me. So I had to develop, and I did develop a method using uh, nutritional ingredient charts of not ingesting uh, more than a certain amount of, uh, of fat in any food I ate, uh, and cutting off all the fat, all the uh, visible fat, and not using fats to fry it or anything of that sort. And that's, I started with that. That was pretty simple. Plus, I had certain binge foods I, I, I knew I could never eat, and that included uh, uh, anything made with butter or anything actually high, high dairy fats. Um, and it and included anything deep fried in, in any kind of fat. Um, and certain foods that I knew were problems, even though they might not have such a high fat content. Some, some sugary foods as well. Because I knew that they had a, I had a reaction. I, I, I don't eat a lot of sugary stuff, so sugar, I, I react badly to sugar because uh, I don't have much tolerance for it. Um, but... After about six months of doing this and working in steps and feeling recovered with my friend and, and really not wanting the foods I had given up, I hadn't lost a lot of weight. Uh, so I, I began to say, well, how can I sponsor if I haven't lost any weight? And, and, and why am I not losing weight? I, clearly, it's, it's only uh, quantity that's the problem. It's not what I'm eating. Is I've, I've eliminated all the food. But I began to realize that, in fact, I had certain eating behaviors that caused me to ingest more. And one of them was simply eating all day. Uh, I was following uh, an old uh, a plan of eating from a diet that I was on, used to be on that worked it used to work for me, uh, which a lot, which uh, provided for me to keep my mouth busy all the time, chewing gum, eating celery, eating carrots, just keeping my mouth busy to stave off these these feelings of wanting to eat. So I'd be eating all the time, not caloric food, high calorie food, low calorie food, but I'd be eating all the time, and. And I began to realize that this was the problem because any time I would eat foods with calories in them at my meal, um, I'd be too much. My, my saliva would be going, my, my, my mind, my body would say, I want more, I want to chew more. I would be chewing bones, I would be chewing things that were chewy, chewy meats and stuff, but eating too much of them, healthy but too much. And so I realized I had to go back to eating nothing between meals, not chewing or sucking anything between my planned meals. So I, I went back to three meals a day, nothing in between a day at a time. And that was a real revelation that I had certain eating behaviors that caused me to eat compulsively, that my body had such psychological needs that it created in me the same feeling of the physical allergy. And because I couldn't control them, and 30 years of psychoanalysis probably couldn't control them, the fact that I might have been weaned too early or that my mother's, uh, the nursing methods that my mother was taught when, when I was born were, were uh, 
uh, cause me psychological, deep psychological scars. Who knows why? But some eating behaviors cause me problems. Uh, I, I also realized um, that I needed, that I had the psychological, but it was, it, was not, it was not just psychological. It was so deep in me that I couldn't, I couldn't um, my body reacted with cravings. This need to eat to the top of my neck, almost literally, but not quite. And that I had to find a way to limit quantities, and I developed uh, ways of limiting quantities. Some people develop ways of limiting quantities by weighing and measuring their food, which is absolutely a great way of limiting the quantities. But I had to develop a way of making sure that the amount of healthy foods I was ingesting was limited because if I didn't do that, I would develop the need to have more and more and more even of healthy foods. And that's a significant thing about eating behaviors. So I needed to develop a plan of eating. This is my third plan or the first and most important plan that would give me abstinence. And this plan of eating had to be honest. Over the years, I have found other foods, foods that taste like ice cream, even though they're absolutely healthy. Uh, you know, um, uh, a dessert made with creamy but no-fat yogurt uh, uh, and, and frozen blueberries blended into an ice cream-like substance created cravings in me, even though it was absolutely healthy, uh, even without putting sugar or any sugar substitute in it. It tasted like ice cream. I wanted more of it. I had to give that up. Um, I had to give up hot air popcorn, even though in and of itself it doesn't contain a lot of fat. Well, it doesn't contain much fat at all, and it has a lot of fiber and very few calories. I would find myself eating it and eating it. I had to give it up. Now, it wasn't hard to give that up because I had worked the steps already, and I realized as soon as I realized it was poison, I wouldn't eat it. So for my sponsees, I, I asked them to develop a list of their binge foods. I examined them very much because there are so many fads around, so many people more than willing to tell you both inside and outside the program what the real problem is, what we're all addicted to, even though we're not all addicted to it, because the group conscience of OA tells us we're not all addicted to it. I examine them carefully. Um, uh, you know, they, they may say, oh, my problem is sugar and flour. And I might say, no, tell me the foods that, you, that contain sugar and flour that are your problem. Because I have, the, I have the feeling that if I gave you a bag of flour, that wouldn't create cravings in you. And if I gave you a bag of sugar and you had some of it, you probably wouldn't eat the whole bag. And I've only met one person in my career in OA who said I would eat the whole bag. I've, I've met no one uh, else who has ever said, that, maybe two other people. Uh, most people would say, no, I couldn't eat a whole bag of sugar. It, it wouldn't call to me. I say, tell me the foods. What are the foods? And invariably, they're foods that contain a mixture of fat and sugar, fat and flour. Um, and I say to them, what about the fat? Oh, no, that's no problem. Oh, yeah, it can be a problem. And there are people in OA who have a lot of problems with fat who are so proud of themselves that they've been free of sugar and flour but continue to eat enormous quantities of fats and don't, and don't lose weight. So I concentrate on that because I think within OA there's a big sugar and flour issue, and I think that uh, uh, there's nothing good about uh, white sugar or any sugars, uh, nothing healthy or nutritional about uh, that, nutritionist about that, and certainly white flour isn't a nutritional, nutritious uh, substance. So I, don't, I avoid that stuff. I, I, it's bad for me. Uh, but but the, I, I, I distinguish between stuff that's bad for you and stuff that creates cravings. Uh, people who uh, feel that they should not be eating gluten because they're celiac shouldn't eat gluten. But if gluten doesn't create cravings in them, 
it, it isn't on their list of things they shouldn't eat for abstinence. Uh, you know, there may be a, 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 an alcoholic who may have celiac, but uh, abstaining from, uh, from gluten is not part of that alcoholic's uh, sobriety. Uh, similarly, people who have diabetes can't eat certain foods, or people who have peanut allergies can't eat certain foods. That's not part of their, their abstinence. Their abstinence is defined by eliminating the foods, food ingredients, and or eating behaviors that cause compulsive eating. Once they've defined it that way, and that's in our pamphlet, Dignity of Choice, Group Conscience of OA, once they have that, they have the first and the most important of the three plans that I suggest to people who, who begin uh, the program. The first is how to develop an abstinence that frees you from the body's allergy that, uh, so that you have no more phenomenon of craving. You go through a period of withdrawal, but at a certain point, your body isn't saying more, more, more because it isn't ingesting those foods or indulging in those eating behaviors. The second plan is the strategy, the timetable for working the steps that allows you to hang on for so long. It tricks your mind for a while into saying, okay, I can hang on for a little bit. Let's see whether these steps work. And the third is the day-to-day -day avoidance of temptation, the developing of a ritual uh, that keeps you from, tempt tempting, uh, from temptation so that you don't have a slip. From there, you work the steps. And you work the steps as hard as possible, realizing that it's just as much life and death, life or death, as alcohol addiction, gambling addiction, drug addiction. It's just as important. Take your, you deserve to take yourself as seriously as any other addict. And these this program, if you have my problem, is the only solution that millions of us across the, around the world and in the past have found for our addiction. But welcome to OA for those who still suffer. Let's hope that this is the new beginning for you on this very first day of 2017. So that's, I'm ending, and I'm now open for any questions. Thank you so much, Lori, for your very thorough and enthralling presentation this morning. Thank you so much. Yes, let's transition now to question-answer segment. You can ask a question by pressing star 1 to unmute and announce yourself, please. Anne-Marie M. Anne-Marie. Sally B. Sally B. I didn't catch the last name. Marie E. Marie E. Yes. Okay. Who else has a question this morning? Dana W. Dana W. Cindy okay. K. I didn't catch the last one. Cindy K. Cindy Kay. All right, let's start with these five. Just a reminder, if you're not speaking, please stay muted. Thank you so much. Anne-Marie M., go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Leah, for your service. And, um, Laurie, thank you so much. Um, you've helped me more than you will ever know. So I appreciate you. Um, uh, I need to weigh and measure my food, and I I don't now I don't have a problem with that. I had resisted it at first. Um, but I, I wasn't sure if I, I had the impression that you don't do that. And so, how do you know how much is enough? 
That's well, uh, yes, I don't, I don't weigh and measure my food. I, I weigh one food. Uh, there's one food. It's a breakfast food that I make myself that I found that I need to, I need to measure. But aside from that, I don't. But I, may, I must tell you, I may turn out weighing and measuring some of my, uh, more of my foods. I'm not sure yet um, because I monitor my, my weight gain. And, and if I find that I've gained weight, then clearly I, I'm taking too much. I mean, I, I know I'm abstinent in terms of the foods that I can't eat. That I'm very clear about. But because I'm a little vaguer about the amounts I, I take, I have to be pretty clear. I, I developed uh, uh, a couple of ways of doing it. Uh, one is I, I, eat, I eat when I feel full to my belly button. And... Um, and I know I, I, I was told by a nurse uh, 10 years after I started this that that's anatomically impossible because my stomach begins at my belly button. But somehow I know that if I start to say, am I really full? Um, if I start to feel full and I start to think, do I need any more? It's time for me to stop. And, and that was one way that really, really uh, worked uh, uh, for me. Um, and that really... Uh, uh, so I, I didn't I, I didn't eat up to the top of my neck. I, I ate to the bottom, and, and the other was you know eyeballing it and and not going back for seconds and things of that sort. Uh, I, I find that when I need to lose weight, uh, what I often will do is uh, I, I will simply never go back for seconds. I will not eat while I'm watching television. I will not eat while I'm reading. Uh, food becomes more boring for me at that point, and 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 therefore I don't. I'm more conscious, more conscious of when I reach my belly button. Um, as I get older, I, you know, my metabolism may change. I try to keep active, but it, it may change, and and uh, I may need less food. And and my normal um, uh, symptoms of, of uh, overeating uh, might not be accurate. So I'm I'm uh, I you know I, I just tell you that that's what I do. Uh, and it usually works for me. It doesn't always, and sometimes I find I weigh myself once a month, and uh, sometimes I find I'm heavier than I thought I, would, I was. It happened to me this morning. I weighed myself this morning. I'm heavier than I thought I was, so I, I have to be, I'm not going to be reading while eating, and I'm not going to be watching television while eating. And I, I know that that will do it for me. That has done it for me in the past. But if I find it doesn't, I will weigh and measure. It, it's as simple as that. Thank you. Thanks, yeah, Anne-Marie. Very much. Sally B. Hi, this is Sally. Um, when I try to work with people with the steps, I I know that they should go fairly quickly. I read um, the big book with them, um, like 15 minutes to a half hour each five days a week. Is there a some form that I should be using. So well, I, I, oh, I'm sorry. Go on. Sorry no, that's it. Oh well, no, I, I, I'll tell you how I sponsor, but my way of sponsoring is is uh, different from a lot and a lot of others. So I, I'm not suggesting it's the best way of sponsoring. But I I deal with each person individually. For me, it depends on how well they read and how well they retain what they've read. You know, I, I, I give them an introduction. I talk about the allergy, the body, the obsession, the mind. And I will go over the whole big book with them. Or, you know, not all. I, 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 I don't go over all the stories with them. I encourage them to read the stories. But I, I go over the bulk of the big book, the page, 
the introductory in the page 164. But a lot of it depends on how well they read and how and 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 um, how much they retain. I'll give an example: the chapter more about alcoholism has, uh, you know, the four stories that uh, about the allergy, about the obsession of the mind, has, uh, you know, the, the first couple pages uh, uh, about um, um, giving a description of the uh, obsession of the mind. Um, you know, if if I said to someone, you know, read this chapter and. And then I meet with that person, and, and I say, what did you think of the chapter? They say, oh, yeah, no, the, the wonderful stories, the four stories. There's, you know, the businessman, uh, 55, uh, you know, retired at 55. There's, the, uh, there's uh, Jim, there's the jaywalker, there's Fred. Um, I don't think I have to read those stories to them, uh, but I will say, okay, well, let me just read to you the particular paragraphs that seem to me absolutely significant from their stories, the lessons to be learned, and we go over that. On the other hand, the big book is not an easy book for a lot of people to read. Its language is archaic. Uh, there are some things in it that sometimes make it difficult, and a lot of people don't know the old language or don't understand the meanings of some of the words because they were the words mean something meant something different in 1939 than what they do now. Um, I will sometimes go over them over the book word for word. So I I, I sponsor people differently uh, because I don't. I don't think there's. I don't think one size fits all, um, and and so I don't read them 15, 15 minutes a day. Uh, I I also uh, meet with them, and I will. I, I usually spend an hour to two hours with them, but I don't meet with them every day. I will meet with them when it's convenient for them and convenient for me, and you know the the more desperate ones meet with me more often. And I'm available for them, uh, but uh, but I, I let them do their work. Uh, I'm much more of a hands-off person. I don't like people being dependent upon me. I, I take very seriously uh, that part of the big book that says that uh, in working with others that uh, uh, burn the idea in the consciousness of uh, every man. I'm just trying to find it. Um, uh, uh, page 98. Uh, he can get well regardless of anyone. Uh, wife or no wife, job or no job, we simply don't stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. And I don't want my sponsees to be dependent upon me. So I'm there as their mm -hmm. guide, and I, I don't have daily contact with them, partly for that reason. Partly because I can be more efficient as a sponsor by sponsoring more people if they don't phone me all the time. So, uh, I, I, I mean, I know this is heresy to some. Uh, and, and my criteria for whether a method of sponsoring works is whether or not the meetings are full of people who are available to sponsor or whether the meetings are full of people who do sponsor and have no time to sponsor. Uh, if the meetings are full of people who have no time to sponsor, there's something wrong because the meetings are there, Tradition 5 tells us, the primary purpose of every OA meeting is to carry the message to those who still suffer, not those who don't. And people who don't have time to sponsor, if they sponsor in a more labor-intensive way, that's fine as long as they're creating a whole bunch of other people are available to sponsor uh, so that there's always people available to sponsor. But, uh, but I, go to a lot of, I have gone to a lot of meetings where no one's available to sponsor because the method of sponsoring that people have, that the recovered people, limits the numbers, and, and there's not anyone else coming to the fore to, to um, uh, enlarge the pool of available sponsors. So that, that my only criterion for methods of sponsoring is, I guess there are two. One is whether it creates some recovered people, and the other is whether the meetings um, uh, have 
um, people available to sponsor. So that's how I sponsor. I'm not suggesting you do it. I'm, I don't know how good a sponsor I am, <laughs> but that's how I do it. I, I, I don't read it. I don't have the same method. I will work word for word with some people, and I will work generally with others, depending on how well they read and how much they retain. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thanks, Sally B. Marie E. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you um, for your service, uh, Lauren, especially. Um, I've been in and out of the rooms for like 28 years and have found vision to you um, in the last couple months. And um, I really appreciate your sharing about um, your high-fat foods. I'd never heard that before, and that has really helped me identify um, my heroin foods. Um, my question is, I find it really curious how committing your food, you generic person, um, seems to work so well in OA, um, whether it's a daily food plan or someone knows they're going to be in a iffy or dangerous situation and they commit to not eating or they commit to a certain behavior. Do you have any opinions as to why that? Seems to work so well in LA. I I, heard, I didn't hear your last sentence. I'm having a little difficulty. What was your last question? What was the question? I heard. I think everything you said before that. Um, do you have any opinion as to why that seems to work so well for people in LA, um, as in committing their food and then following through with that commitment, even if they're, you know, experiencing the physical cravings or um, oh, uh, why it works so well to commit your food? Yeah. Is that your question? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't. Uh, you know, it, it seems to work for uh, for others, and it works very well for them. And, and my guess is it means that, well, uh, talking to people I, I know, that, uh, you know, one of my friends says, listen, for 10 minutes a day I talk about food, and that's it. I don't have to worry about it after that. I've committed it. It's done. And I, I understand that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so there are a lot of people who who need not need is maybe the wrong word who benefit from this sense of I'm taking this so seriously that I am phoning you and telling you what I am going to eat today, and you're treating me so seriously by listening seriously and thanking me for the commitment, um, and this this whole sense of commitment is part of what's needed. We we have fewer um, OA meetings than alcoholics do. Many alcoholics go to three, four, five meetings a, 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 a week. Uh, you know, some of us just go to one meeting a week. I go to two. But um, uh, So, you know, in, 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 in many of the other 12-step programs, which are more heavily populated, they have many more meetings, there, there are many more opportunities to remind yourself of the seriousness of this. And so committing your food is a reminder of that. It has all kinds of psychological value. I don't know if that helps. Yes, it does. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marie E. And Dana W., it's your turn. Hi, good morning. Um, thank you so much, Lori, for your service. And I also wanted to say that um, I really appreciate what you said about the fats and everything. Um, today marks a year of abstinence for me, and as a result of the side benefit, I've lost 64 pounds. Wow. Um, yes, I'm so happy, and 
I still have 50 pounds to lose to get to my goal weight. And I've been at a standstill the past couple of months. I had a hysterectomy. Um, I've been pretty inactive up until the past few weeks. Um, so I'm meeting with a registered uh, OA dietitian that's local. Um, so this has come at such a pertinent time. Um, and so when I go over uh, my red light foods with her, um, you know, generally what I thought was my red light foods was uh, I knew it was sugar, uh, fat, and salt, and flour, uh, and any of those, you know, combined together. Um, but I didn't uh, really see salt or caffeine or dairy or anything like that as being a problem uh, per se by itself. Um, and I was just wondering if you could um, help me to uh, determine when I should completely let, you know, like, for instance, one ingredient go. I understood and grasped how I can't have potato chips or ice cream, you know, anything that's a combination of the three. But how will I know uh, that I may need to let, uh, for instance, uh, salt go completely to make sure that it's, you know, not in anything that I consume? Well, I, 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 there is salt in, in many things, and I, I don't want to suggest that you not eat salt at all uh, unless you have other sources of iodine. Uh, but um, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not in a position to give specific advice, uh, but I, I know that, when, that, that butter for me, and I, I think that it works whether it's salted or unsalted butter, there's a creaminess to, to butter that creates problems for me and a taste of butter that creates problems for me in any form. So I don't eat butter. Uh, and it, it uh, I, I mean, I don't know if I ever ate it just straight from the, <laughs> straight from the, 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 the piece, but I, I don't eat, I don't, I don't put butter on. Um, so combinations are important, but also there are specific foods and, and I have identified those foods for myself as being foods that I cannot indulge in. Um, it's, it, it, you know, so, you know, I don't know if sour cream has, uh, has salt in it, but it sure has a lot of fat in it. And I found myself eating that. And I find myself eating a lot of things that have fat in it that I found, not now, but uh, that have fat in it. I also find things that imitate foods that have fat in them have a problem for me. So I, I, I say foods, specific foods and food ingredients and eating behaviors are all issues that I have to deal with and be very conscious of. And I don't do it mechanically. I do it very practically. If I find myself wanting and needing more food, I get rid of it, uh, even though it doesn't fit any of my criteria. <laughs> I, I don't know if that helps. It does. It helps immensely. Thank you so my much. Only, That's going to help me other, a lot. To... Good. And my other suggestion with respect to the nutritionist, um, unless it's a nutritionist who somehow believes that there is such a thing as food addiction, and, and there aren't a lot of them, I know that, um, I would emphasize to that food nutritionist, whether you believe it or not, there are certain foods I cannot eat. And here they are. And now let's work within that framework. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. Uh, um, she, yeah. she is, she's, um, I spoke with her for an hour um, prior to scheduling an appointment with her. And um, she is very familiar with food addiction. Right. You know, I really view her as a godsend. And thank you so much. Um, you're, this is going to help me um, yeah, a lot. One other, thank you. 
and whether the other suggestion is is eating behaviors. They're very tricky, and it can be as simple as reading while eating, or eating, or watching TV while eating, or eating when you feel lonely, or, or anything of that sort. There are different eating behaviors that increase quantities of even healthy foods. And if you don't weigh and measure, then you've got to worry about the eating behaviors that create the quantity issues, uh, or the lack of quantity issues if you're an undereater. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Dana W. Thank you. A reminder to everybody to mute, except for Cindy K. Cindy K, your turn. Hi, this is Cindy K. Thank you for your service, Lori. My question is, do you have any words of advice on how to get through the days of withdrawal? That is my biggest fear right now in putting down the food is the withdrawal that I'm going to be going through. I wish I could. I wish I could make it uh, have an easy answer. No, I, I mean I think it's it's tough. Uh, sometimes you have to just keep yourself out of situations where it's available to you. You know, just as the alcoholic will will go to some you know equivalent of a treatment center or something like that. Sometimes you just have to get rid of it from your house and not attend the, uh, the gatherings at which you might have it. Uh, and you might have to drink lots of water and go for lots of walks and phone lots and lots of people and go to lots and lots of meetings. Um, uh, you, you know, you, you do what the normal addict does. Uh, you know, any addict uh, goes through these withdrawal things. I think, I think for many of us, our experience is that it doesn't last that long that you don't have to worry that much, but I can't answer for everyone. And, and there, there may be some who, who really have it. I, I would have supports available to me. I would muster as many people uh, uh, as I can to watch over me and whom I could phone and, and run to, either by phone or, or, or in reality. Uh, you know, it's a cold turkey time, and it's a tough time. Cold turkey's tough for anyone. So, uh, you know, I would take it as seriously as other addicts take it. And you may not have treatment facilities available to you, the equivalent that, that the drug addicts or, or alcoholics have, but you could create your own, uh, try to create your own treatment facility by eliminating everything, uh, any temptation from where you live um, uh, and uh, from any of the uh, social conditions you find yourself in. And 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 developing any other ways of phoning or contacting people or reading or running away from this while you're while you're at that time uh, and I, I and and praying a lot and doing whatever has meaning to you on an internal basis as well i wish i could give you i can give you hope that i can give you that once that withdrawal is over and you work the steps you won't want it anymore so that's the hope i can give you that helps me immensely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy Kay. Who else has a question for Lori? Star Linda B. Linda T. Kathy K. Kathy K. A.W. M- Melissa that, Melissa, I got you. Is that Cindy W.? Faye W. Faye W. Thank you. Mary O. Mary, Mary, 
O. O. Okay. Who else was there? Shannon D. Shannon D. Okay, let's go with this grouping. Linda D, go ahead. Everybody else, please mute. Thank you. Hi, this is Linda D from North Carolina. Gratefully recovered one day at a time with my daily reprieve for a little over seven months now. Great. I want, I want to thank you, Lori, for this wonderful presentation. Um, good for me to hear. I'm a relative newbie, but it's also going to be wonderful if my first sponsee and only sponsee at the moment isn't listening at this moment for her to hear later because for all newcomers, uh, as well as those of us in other stages, this is a great, great talk. Um, so much useful in it. Uh, the question I have for you is specific to um, sponsoring. I'm only sponsoring, I'm, having, I'm working with my first sponsee, face-to-face -face meetings. Um, I got abstinent and recovered in visions um, and started going to face-to-face -face meetings later, um, interestingly enough. And I'm working with this great gal, and I was also acting as a food sponsor as an active service for a friend that I met through program who's far away. And recently, I began to feel troubled by that because I would hear the food list or see the food list every day, and then I would, she would say, I've, I've deviated or I've, I've, I broke my abstinence, and it was happening quite often. And um, she's working with another big book sponsor. So I would say, she would say, I'm going to talk to my sponsor about it. I would say, okay. But I would find myself wondering, you know, well, you know, did you, wanting to say things that I might say as a big book sponsor, like, did you look at how you were feeling before you ate? Or what is the resistance to the idea that you can't pick up or you're going to die? You know, uh, the, or the, the one that I'm not using you, but the idea that I have that if I don't pick up, if I pick up, I'm going to die. So I got frustrated and worried. And I decided that I, after some prayer, that I could not do that function of being only a food sponsor anymore. And I'm still a bit troubled by it because on one hand, it feels selfish to me to have um, pulled away from that for her because it's something that she thinks she needs. But on the other hand, I felt as if I were not, I almost felt like I was being an enabler. So I was interested to see if you'd have any thoughts about that particular um, issue of being only a food sponsor and what the role is and is not. And with that, I pass. Okay, I, 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 I've never categorized um, sponsorship, so I, 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 I don't, you know, if there are rules for being a food sponsor, um, uh, I don't know what they are. Um, so I'm, I'm um, I guess my feeling is as an OA member and a person in contact with, um, with an OA member who's having problems, I've always felt it reasonable to ask that person if the person's available, uh, open to it, what's going on. I mean, I, if someone says to me week, day in and day out, this is what I'm going to eat, and then you know, the next day says I didn't eat it, uh, I broke my abstinence, my question would be, how am I helping you? Um, you know, what do you want from me? Because clearly committing food to me hasn't helped you. Um, and, and I would then say, you know, uh, there are any number of ways of, of dealing with this, but one of them is, uh, 
you know, have you talked to anyone about what's going on that causes you to commit your food to me and then break it and then break your abstinence? Um, this relationship doesn't seem to be working in terms of what you're asking me to do. You know, and then working from that. I mean, that's how I would, that's, that's how I would think of it because, uh, you know, I mean, my, my own, I mean, I, I, I take this, this whole sense of not being dependent upon other people very, uh, very seriously. And, and, you know, in, in my own life, I, I've got, uh, I, I have contact with a person who, who is addicted to another substance and, and, and a very uh, sort of a close person. And, um, you know, I've come to the conclusion that uh, over the time, after doing my own step four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine on the issue, it's a resentment and fears and all that, that, um, uh, you know, I, enabling that person in any way, shape, or form is harmful to that person. And, and so if, if you've worked the steps, uh, the big book way, and you're familiar with, um, with the uh, big book way of doing steps uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, um, I guess my answer, and I would call that step 10 if you've already recovered, that's what I do, step 10 on the issue, which is step four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I would put that person down as a resentment. I would put down something like, I don't know what the role of a food sponsor is in terms of a person who relapses as another resentment, the principle. Um, and then I would work through the various issues to come up with where am I selfish, uh, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. I would deal with whatever fears I have. I would uh, uh, maybe use the sex conduct form as a relationship form or, or not. I would figure out what kind of amends I owe the person um, uh, who, whom I am the food sponsor for. And I, that would give me the clarity to know the difference between my wanting to solve the world's problems and that person's problems and what the right thing to do is. Because I would not be self-seeking or selfish or dishonest. And maybe my dishonesty is I'm not telling her the truth when, or him or her, the truth when the truth should be told. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? I'm, am I making sense Ab in that respect? Absolutely. And um, that's absolutely useful. And I, I have worked tense on it more than one, but they haven't been effective. And I think that this way I can do it again uh, and get a better, um, a more useful effect that will help, help her and help me. So thank you so much for bringing that up, Lori. I appreciate it. Thanks, Linda D. Kathy K. Hey, this is Kathy Kay. Thanks so much, Lori. It was uh, really great to hear you again. I actually participated in one of your weekend workshops a few years ago in Framingham, Mass., and I always oh, yeah. get a lot from hearing you. You may have already answered my question with Linda D., but I'm going to ask it again because I have, with my sponsoring, um, several times encountered someone who really, really wanted recovery uh, and uh, could not put the food down. Um, and uh, I found after hanging on for a while uh, and us making no progress that my only thing I could do was to suggest that she find another sponsor um, because obviously I wasn't helping her 
to get abstinent. I'm wondering what you do when you encounter someone like that, because it doesn't feel that good to me to let someone go when they're suffering like that. I've never fired a spontee, but Uh many spontees have left me. Uh, And it's because I um, I don't indulge in a lot of talk with them. I'm there to work the steps, and I say to them, I'm not your counselor, your friend, your guide. I'm, I'm your guide, um, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm nothing else. And so I don't have a lot of conversations with my sponsees. I don't use the phone at all other than to make appointments. Um, and so my relationship with my sponsees is purely working the steps, and I go over with them the steps. If they, and, and, and it has happened that my sponsees haven't been, some, some of the people I've sponsored haven't been able to maintain abstinence. And I have said, what is the value? What is the issue? I, I always do step 10 on them, steps 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, because I, I want to make sure that I am in no way either uh, trying to control them or enabling them. I mean, those, I guess those are the two real options, the real uh, alternatives that they could happen in terms of my wish to fix them. And uh, enabling is a real issue. I mean, sometimes people just want contact, and they play the game of working the steps, but they really just want contact with someone. They have this, this need to feel loved. Well, everyone has this need to feel loved and, and accepted, and sometimes that's all people want. And, and so I, I, I will work with those people to a point, and I will say to them at a certain point, what is the value of my working with you? You aren't working the steps. You aren't abstinent. How seriously do you take it? So I, I, I sort of, I, I'm very direct with them, and that will often lead them to leave. But sometimes it will lead them to sort of say, I'm in terrible shape. I need help. But I, 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 um, I, I get my answers not by some, I mean, I get my answers on a personal level by my own intuition using the 12 steps, using steps four through nine or what I call step 10 because I've recovered, but using those steps to make sure that my interactions with the people uh, uh, are, are governed by unselfishness, by honesty, which includes telling the truth when the truth should be told, by lack of self-seeking, and by uh, outgrowing fears, I work them out. I, I will share it with another human being. I will work out what amends I owe those people. And sometimes the amends I owe those people is to pay more attention to them and to really grill them. And sometimes the amends I owe them is to sort of say, uh, you know, call me when you're ready. Mm. I'm, I'm always here for you. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I think it, it, everything depends on, my, on how I feel about that person and making sure that I'm not that my defects of character aren't involved, and who that person is. So I don't think there is a rule. I think it's all individual. And I think that, and my experience has been that when I work that through, my amends come in 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 ways that I'm not even I I couldn't even have predicted. You know that that I I the words that come out of me are the right words. I don't I didn't even know what they would be. Thank you. That's very helpful. I I could do some more of that work myself. Thanks a lot, Lori. Thanks. Thank you, Kathy Kay. Say W. It's now your turn. Thank you, and good morning. Lori, thanks for your service. Uh, Wondering how you handle hunger. Let's say you've had your 
abstinent breakfast and abstinent lunch, and you've still got three, four hours to go to dinner, and you're really stomach growling hungry. Uh, it's hardly ever happened to me. Um, mm. It only happens to me if I, uh, if my food is delayed, and then I, I do get hungry. Um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I guess there are a couple of uh, issues here. And again, I, I, if you've already recovered, I would do a step ten on it. If you haven't already recovered, I do, I do steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine on the issue, because your answer may be different from my answer. Um, I normally eat three meals a day, nothing in between, a day at a time. That's one of the aspects of my of my definition, my plan of eating. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to have. Uh, they, they've moved, but we used to have uh, friends in, in, in my hometown who would invite us for a 7 o'clock supper that, that I learned from experience began at 9 o'clock. And it was important for me to go. I love them very much, but, I, but, but they ate a lot later than my meals were. So I found myself, like at 7, I would start sort of, I wouldn't eat, and then uh, I'd wait for the supper, and then the supper would come at 9, and, and my quantities were much greater because I was hungry. Uh, so I decided that uh, for those meals, I would, uh, uh, when I, we were right at their place, I would eat a, a, a snack at, at uh, 5 o'clock mm-hmm. and then eat less at supper. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that was one solution. Um, I, I don't have a compunction. Uh, I have a friend who her three meals a day, nothing in between, means no calories in between. That doesn't mean it for me. So I, I can drink uh, liquids uh, mm-hmm. uh, for me uh, that, that have some caloric content. I mean, they, they don't have fat, they don't have sugar, but I can eat some liquids, some, you know, a juice smoothie or something like that uh, that, that, might, uh, that might assuage it. I don't do much of that, but I could. Or, uh, you know, or even, uh, you know, milk of some kind. Uh, for me, it would be skim milk or... I've become almost vegan, so it wouldn't be skim milk, but you know what I'm saying, but milk that, that, um, is, uh, that doesn't create cravings in me. So that's another mm-hmm. way. Getting active, drinking water, I mean, I don't know what other solutions would work for you, <clears throat> but I think it depends a lot. Uh, I, I'm, I am flexible. I, I use, there's a wonderful writer who talks about raising children uh, who talks about different family families. There's the the jellyfish family where every, anything goes, there's the brick wall family where there are rigid rules that cannot be broken. And then there's the backbone family. And a backbone moves as it's needed, but has a core. So that's how I sort of see my plan of eating. I, I am flexible when it, I need it to be flexible. I work it through very carefully. And if I were going to make any major changes, I would share it with a, another person in OA before I did it. But generally, I, you know, so if, if, I, if I get hungry... That may be an indication that the plan of eating I have isn't a good one. If that continually happens to me and I've gone through the withdrawal and I'm no longer in withdrawal, then it may be I'm not getting enough food in me. And maybe my body does require a snack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, but I would do step four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine or a step, ten, a step ten on that issue for you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Faye W. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Melissa C. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C. Um, thank you so much, Laurie. I got so much out of what you had to say. And um, you mentioned a timetable, um, establishing a timetable for um, 
getting through the steps for getting recovered. And as um, as a sponsor, is that something that you set up with the sponsee, or yes. do you let you know a sponsee oh, I, kind of come to that? No, I I, I work on. That. I I say to the sponsee, let's work on three plans. What are you going to do about X, Y, and Z or Z? Uh, <clears throat> that's what I do. And so I will say, you know, the steps, uh, here, here's the overview of the steps as I see them, as I've been taught them. Um, you know, we can do steps one and two, depending on how quickly or, or, or you can read the book and how much you want to talk about it. We'll go through steps. We'll develop a plan of eating with you. Uh, once we develop a plan of eating, uh, we, we, you know, from the way I've been taught about working the steps, step three is just a decision. Uh, it's step four that starts the process. Um, you know, step four can take between, uh, you know, two weeks and six weeks. Anything longer, you're, you're, uh, you're, something else is the priority. Uh, step five can take a few hours. You do step six, seven, and, uh, and you can do eight within the next couple days. Um, so how, how dedicated are you and how, how much time do you want to spend and what's my time like? No, I'll wow. do that. Okay, so so do you, I mean, when you mentioned about um, having them create or working with them to do that, do you, like, pick it almost like an end date or, you know, make a commitment as far as when? Well, when yes. Yeah, I will say let's just work it through and so so that we have something inside. I don't do that. I mean, I, I say to them you should do that. Uh, but if if they're just working the steps as quickly and as hard as they as they can, and, and they're filled with with hope and 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 they're they aren't suffering withdrawal symptoms or they're over that and they're they're just working the steps, I don't keep track of it with them. As a matter of fact, I don't keep track of anything. They know where they are in the steps. I don't remember because um, I, I I don't I never turn down sponsors sponsees. Um, <clears throat> so I have a lot at any one time, but I don't keep track of them. Um, and, um, but again, that's me. That's not the way other people sponsor. And I'm not suggesting the way I sponsor is the way anyone else should sponsor. Um, so they keep track of it themselves. I mean, I, I've been sponsoring someone who's been so uh, energetic and enthusiastic and, and, uh, and I don't know, you know, I don't even know what that person's timetable has been, but that person has been working the steps really hard, really quickly. And so I'm happy. You know, and if they have this sense, it, you know, they say, you know, let's make an appointment. Let's work through this. Let's do it this quickly. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really, like, the, the, the timetable is more a psychological thing for saying to people, you can hold on. You know, you just have to hold on to your absence for so long. By the time you reach step nine, you will not want it anymore. Um, you will not want the things you've given up. So I, I don't make it, like, it's not, I have no rules. Uh-huh. It's just a suggestion. Sure, sure. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank, you. Thank you, Melissa C. Mary O. It's your turn. Hello, this is Mary. Can you hear me? We yes, can. Sure. Thank you so much, both of you. I appreciate your share, Lori. My question is, when you described when the obsession of the mind kicks in and your brain uh, says, come on, what do you do? Can you give an example of what you do at that time? 
Well, <laughs> no, that's the problem. The solution is to work the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, and, and, and there's no other solution that I have found for myself. So the solution is to give it up, to develop means of avoiding temptation, to get a sense that you only have to do it for a certain length of time, uh, get, a plan, get an abstinence and work your life out with a sponsor and, and, and do the steps. I have no other solution. Um, and, 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 you know, ways to avoid temptation at the moment. I've never been able to overcome my mind other than working the steps. I, I, I'm not sure that I've answered your question. Uh, so maybe, you know, you want to give me more examples of what you mean by it. I, I might be able to do a better job of answering that question. Right. So you mentioned um, as you're going through the steps, though, the avoiding the temptation or like walking walking through that part when it's when it's all consuming of the brain yeah. okay well that's the point at which uh, that that's not the point that before that point uh, you should work out methods that make sense to you for avoiding for overcoming that temptation. And it might include phoning people when tempted. It might include saying to yourself, I remember doing this at one point, I will eat this tomorrow. And somehow that psychologically gave me permission to give it up today. <laughs> you know, I mean, it made sense to me. I will eat this in 10 minutes, and in 10 minutes I was somewhere else. Um, I will drink a glass of water before I indulge in anything. I will give this to my sponsor. I'm saving this for my sponsor. I did that. I remember doing that. Um, uh, I will throw it down the garbage immediately. I will put it to the incinerator. I will, you know, stomp on it. I, I you know, whatever it is, uh, I will take myself away from this. You know, you develop these habits, if you want, these rituals that uh, that enable you <clears throat> to to deal with it. And, you know, when I talk to my sponsees, and and if they've relapsed, and my, some of my sponsees do. I will always say, you made two possible mistakes, maybe one or both of them. One is maybe you're still eating things that your body says it wants, and that <clears throat> that means that your body is still is still full of cravings, and you better, well, let's analyze your plan of eating to make sure that you've eliminated everything that causes cravings. And the other is, what didn't you do before that first, that decision to have that first bite? And I remember hearing uh, Ruth talk about this, talking about, you made your decision six decisions ago. When you decided to go, you know, on the street where the drive-through was, you made the decision to go on that street five decisions ago, you know, when you decided to go on that route and not another route. So go backwards and figure out what caused me to make the decision that caused me to make the decision that caused me to make the decision that caused me to make the decision to eat. And start analyzing that and figuring out what you can do to prevent that. Don't go to the party. <laughs> you know, as soon as you see the food brought out, say you feel sick. Tell people you're allergic to it. You know, you, you know whatever, because <clears throat> they won't want to give it to you if you're allergic to it. Whatever it is, you've got to develop. <clears throat> I'm sorry, just a minute. <clears throat> to me. You've got to develop your own rituals for dealing with that issue. And Thank I'd you. work them out with a, with a sponsor, someone else in the program that has experience with it. But you have to work on your own. Does that help? Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Mary O. Shannon. 
Good morning, Shannon D. Um, recovered in Buffalo, New York. Thank you, Lori Thank and you. Leah, for your service. I have a question, Lori. When you are working with other people, how do you mutually decide when they have a solid plan of eating and they're ready to move on to the rest of the steps? I don't make any decision like that. I, I, as long as they believe they're being honest with themselves and they've answered all the questions I've asked, uh, I, I say, go for it. And if they relapse, I then say, let's learn from what you, from your mistakes. Maybe you were still eating something you shouldn't have eaten. Uh, I, I am not going to tell anyone whether he or she is ready. I am going to listen, have them listen to themselves. Um, if they're, my experience is that I was honest with myself about what to eliminate, and I did, and I worked the steps, being honest with myself, and I recovered. I then looked, I then realized I hadn't lost any weight, and realized that there were still some more things I had to get rid of. And as time has gone on, I've gotten rid of other things. So the fact that I was, I'm abstinent now in a way that I wasn't abstinent uh, 23 years ago is not relevant to me. I'm always learning what to give up. It's very insidious, and, and you can develop, you can develop uh, or, 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 you know, you can develop uh, craving. So um, I, I, I let the people decide, the individual sponsee decide. They'll learn if, they, if they're wrong. Thank you so much. I, I don't control. I, I never, I never, ever, ever want to be in a position where I tell a sponsee what to do. I don't want them to be dependent upon me. I, I, I neither have the time for it, nor do I wish to enable them. They, they have to find their higher power, and I'm not the higher power. power. Thank you, Shannon D., for the question. Lori, are you up for another group? Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. 9.30 is, uh, is fine for me. Excellent. I mean, 10.30 your time, 9.30 my time. Okay. And who else has a question for Lori this morning? Elaine T. Patty C. Amy, Amy E. Julie M. Gina R. R. Hannah F. Okay, this is who I have. Elaine, Patty, Amy, Julie, Gina R., Hannah. Did I miss someone? Laura M. Laura M. I am losing battery. I'm going to have to put you on the speakerphone. I'm very sorry. Okay. I hate speakerphones. I'm going to have to do it. Okay? I hear you, Lori. Okay. If everybody else can mute, because there's a lot of feedback noise going on. All right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to mute the line. Lori, you will need to press star 1 to come back. Okay, I'm back. Okay, excellent. And Lori, what time would you like me to conclude? I didn't catch... Ten more minutes would be fine. I, I'm going to an OA, OA meeting, so I... Yes, I to... okay, so ten more minutes. Okay, so we'll we'll get through as much as we can here. Uh, please, direct, you know, go right to your question. Uh, Elaine, your turn. Star one to unmute. Hi, Lori, thank you. Um, 
My question, this is Elaine, is um, you talked about the three things that you did to start the program. One was foods that cause cravings. Two was uh, setting up time to do the steps, and I didn't quite get three. Was that, um, well, what was that? The daily strategy for how you're going to avoid temptation. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, Elaine. Patty, your question, please. Hello, Lori. Thank you very much for your service. Um, My question really is I came in halfway through your talk, but I have um, had a couple of sponsors. I've had um, some success with losing weight, but what happens is I always get to step four and I start doing doing the inventory and I just fall apart. I fall apart every time, um, and I pick up. And um, it's just, it just seems to be so painful um, to look at it. And, uh, I mean, what kind of hope is there for me? I, I've had a really great sponsor. Um, I've been told to find sponsors that have a lot of experience, um, and um, the last one I just had, she she's amazing, but I, you know, I picked up while, you know, I was doing that, and she said, well, get, you know, get your abstinence, and I I couldn't do it. I, I just, you know, going back to look at that four, I just, I just would fall apart again. <clears throat> what what can I, what kind of hope can I have? I mean. Thank you, Patty, for the question. Thank you. My answer would be to find another way of doing uh, step uh, four than the one you've been using. Okay. Uh, there are many methods of doing step four. Uh, the method that, that I use from the big book is one that uh, I have discovered uh, does not make you feel bad about yourself. Uh, it makes you feel good about yourself. Uh, and mm-hmm. it gives you the answers, even within step four, it gives you the answers for um, how the kind of life you can live without uh, after after you've made your amends. And, and so I found the big book way to be absolutely brilliant. I, I don't have time to talk about it, but if you go to that website, oabigbook.info, you'll find some, if you haven't, if you use those forms at all that are available on that website? I have um, my sponsor. I, I don't have a computer at home, and so that's kind of been like an issue, like trying to, you know, she was busy and I was busy. But really, it just comes down to this getting the information, then I get it, and then I start working on it, and then next thing I know, um, you know, it just, you know, I get all the sensations. And I and I have had successful losing, dropping the weight is not the problem. It's looking at the, my part in it, um, you know, like looking at the, the, the problem of what causes me to pick up the food. You know, it's my em- emotional being of, how I'm handling or how my behavior is with other people. Oh, I understand. And, I understand that. I mean, doing step four has, for many people, been a very emotional thing because you're looking at all the bad things that you've done. Yeah. And it makes you feel bad about yourself. All I'm saying is that the big book approach goes beyond that. It, it doesn't look at the bad things you've done as much as it looks at all the things you think about, including bad things that have happened to you and bad things that you've done, and sure. figuring out where you yourself have been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frightened. Sometimes that means you haven't told the truth when the truth has been told. You've tried to control things. It's not looking at individual um, uh, 
you know, what have been called character defects like gossiping and lust and jealousy. Mm-hmm. It's looking at a general approach where you want to be in charge of the world and yeah. how that wanting to be in charge of the world doesn't work. But as you go through the fear forms and the sex conduct forms, you will, you will also show your, you, you, the, the end result of those forms is to say, okay, in fear, what would a life without fear look like? How could I live without my fears? And in the sex conduct form, you will find that the question, and, and it, it's, a, it's a very long answer, and so I'm not suggesting I'm giving you the whole answer. But the yes. sex conduct forms, which people will often use for any relationship, are forms in which you will say, okay, learning from my mistakes, how can I have relationships that are free from being selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and self-seeking? Mm-hmm. And, and so by the time you finish your step four, you're not looking at the bad stuff. You're saying, oh, here's a life available to me where mm-hmm. I know how I could live a life free of my character defects. So I now have the ability to change. And, and, and the beauty of this is, I mean, the, the beauty of the steps is that we have the ability to change the way we function and to make up as much as possible for whatever we've done in the past. Mm-hmm. And this gives us a sense of hope and, and actually entitlement because so many people don't have that. Yes. So many people don't have those opportunities. You do. And, yes. and the hope you should have is that you will be reborn. Yes. So yes. Uh, all I can say to you is, is, is that um, it's available to you, and that hope that the kind of person you think you are is, is the kind of person you don't have to be if you keep abstinent and work the steps. And okay. so just if you keep that faith in mind and that hope, you will recover. Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, and I would like to get your number so I can call you on a one-to-one basis. <clears throat> uh, I, I'm, I, I, I am not, I'm happy to talk to you on a one-to-one basis. I have to do it by, um, by appointment. I, I just my, sure. my, So uh, my email, uh, if I can give that to you, you can contact me, um, um, uh, uh, is uh, uh, churns, C-H-E-R-N, as in Norman, S, as in Sam, Mm-hmm. At M as in mother, T as in Timothy, S as in Sam, dot net, N-E-T. Dot net. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you Thank very you. much. You're Thank you. Me. Thank you, Thank you Patty. Thank you very much. Thanks to everyone who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you again, Lori, for your very thorough and captivating presentation this morning. It's always such a delight and a help to have you on the line. Thank you for your service. We're going to close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road 
of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.